Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 60 of Going Live with Good Soil. Emmett is out enjoying himself in Hawaii this week, but uh, please be joined by Yashu from Hit That Bid. Yashu, how are you doing? Hey Matt, doing well. Thanks for the invite. Uh, it was an easy decision for me to to want to come in uh, into Emmett's shoes. Not an easy role to fill, but uh, appreciate you inviting me on. Well, we always have good good conversations uh, when we get together, whether it's on your channel or, or here. So definitely yep. looking forward to it. Although I am kind of bummed because I bought some juju just for this purpose and i kind of forgot to grab it now it's a little too late it's downstairs i look so. it happens it's 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 really <laughs> easy to happen it's happened to me multiple times today I don't, I don't have it cut but i have it with me um because i'm having coffee but uh Is that a lemon? Yeah. It, no it's just the over overripe orange that with, oh, my, okay. with my with my floodlights here it looks like a lemon yes it's very very kind of washed out in that in that lighting <laughs> not, not a good sign <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, we've got a, a lot to get into uh, this week, um, so let's just dive right into it. So normally we kind of start off with uh, with the macro news. We've seen you know equity markets kind of slide the last uh, week or so after after rallying pretty hard the last you know month and a half. Um, have you been kind of surprised by the the kind of slowdown that we've seen, and, and maybe just by like one kind of anecdote that was kind of interesting? You said you you reused the same thumbnail. Was it three weeks in a row of the Tesla crossing nine hundred, baby? Yes. <laughs> just, yeah. No, no, yeah, it's it's funny because it's like every Friday I'm scrambling to set up my stream a couple hours ahead of time so people can just get the get the word out that of course I'll be going live on Friday at twelve, and yeah, the last three Fridays I've had I, I've been able to use the exact same thumbnail. It's it's me, it's Elon, and it's Tesla nine hundred question mark, and it's funny because <laughs> I think one of those weeks we were we were coming down, uh, we we're over nine hundred, we we're coming down. Uh, last week was we were potentially coming up to nine hundred. So yeah, it's it's kind of been a nothing burger couple of weeks here. Uh, it's kind of the dog days of summer, so volume has been a little bit lower. But but to your point about the retracement, am I surprised? Um, maybe not. I mean, we were at a pretty heavy technical level on the S&P 500, um, you know, hitting the 200-day, rejecting pretty much right off of it. Jackson Hole is coming up to symposium this week. Uh, I think this Friday it starts, or that's when Powell talks at least. So, you know, there are some macro stuff. There is some macro stuff going on um, amidst the split, of course, which, uh, you know, how can we forget about that? Yeah, which uh, I think happens tomorrow, but it won't show up in the, the share price until trading on Thursday. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. I'll ha have to update my model to divide everything by three again. So uh, be, <laughs> we're going to have to kind of get used to that. You'll definitely need a new yeah. thumbnail uh, this Friday, I think, right? I, I mean, never say never. <laughs> yeah. you, yeah, you think we might 3x in the, in the next couple days here? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'll definitely have to spend some time redoing some of my thumbnails. So yeah, I'm kind of curious. Em and I have been talking the last several weeks on on this live stream about uh, kind of our our view of macro, and um, I think Emmett is uh, he he's got this seventy percent probability that that he's been ascribing to kind of a, the soft landing, where you know he mm -hmm. thinks the economy is relatively strong, uh, and we're, he, we're we've just turned the corner on inflation, and, and so the future prints we're seeing should come down a little bit, which uh, you know should remove a little bit of the pressure from the Fed to kind of keep raising rates and uh, potentially could even result in things turning around a little bit. Um, I, I'm a little, little bit less optimistic than Emmett on, on that front, but I, I do still think that it's a, it's a re reasonable and, and probably increasingly likely possibility, though I'd, I'd probably put it under 50%. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, where do you, you know, as you're thinking about, you know, the, the kind of threading this needle of like the most optimal outcome for, um, you know, for equities and, and for the econ economy as a whole, uh, what kind of probability would you place on that that good outcome and, and maybe what other outcomes are you kind of weighing as, as 
like potential scenarios that, that we could see going forward? Yeah, it's, I would say, um, I'm probably, probably closer to Emmett. I, I, I am more, a little bit more, um, oh, optimistic about the soft landing because I think sometimes it's tough. You know, when I think about all this stuff, I often have to remind myself, like everything is relative. So, and I see some comments here about Europe as well. Like everything is relative. So with, and, and we're going to get into the gas pipeline, potential maintenance going on and shutdowns yeah. like that, that would be terrible, but everything is relative. So when I look at the U S economy, yes, I mean, we're, we're in a recession, whether Biden admits it or not, um, we'll probably continue to be, to be in a recession past this GDP print is my guess. Um, but if you look at the relative world markets, I think with the Europe uncertainty, and the and the and the and the Taiwan risk potentially, you know, that's kind of a wild card. I don't even want to talk about it because I that's how much I don't even want to consider that as an option right now. I think the U.S. still stands as a really strong macroeconomic uh, environment relative to the other markets. So when you look at uh, and I think a lot of I think a lot there's a lot to be read into Jay Powell's speech at Jackson Hole. He has an opportunity to kind of reset, I think, the overall narrative with, um, okay, we are in a recession. Uh, we are going to see some, 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 some downturn in employment, but that's okay because we're focused on inflation. To date, he's kind of been like, he's trying to serve two masters, which is kind of the Fed's prerogative for sure. But he's, he's in the face of data, he's been hard pressed to say like, look, we're going to hit a hard recession. And I think um, we haven't had a hard recession by any means, a technical recession, yes. But a lot of people are thinking if inflation is coming down, which you know potentially has topped in July, let's say CPI has, then mm. we're kind of in, in this boat where, yes, I mean, raise rates 75 basis points in September, raise them up until the end of the year, a small one maybe in December as well. But after that point, I mean, inflation, if inflation comes back down, the economy is weakening, how does the Fed continue to raise rates um, past Let's say another one, uh, three. I think three and three point seven five is a projected Fed uh, funds uh, rate to end the year, something like that. So mm -hmm. that's really the question the market has: is like, does just does Jay Powell reset the narrative a little bit um, and stop trying to like play two sides at once? Just kind of stick to one and say, look, I don't care what happens with the economy, but inflation has to come. Uh, has, to, has to come down. And I think that's the right move probably is to uh, sacrifice the economy in the short term for inflation to come down. And inflation is already coming down, I think. So, yeah. um, and you talk about derivatives, inflation is a derivative metric. So for inflation to continue to be uh, this high, even, or even rise, some people are saying it's going to go up while we would have to see an acceleration in the inflation uh, or it's acceleration in the rate of change of inflation. So it's a second derivative. So right. I'm not, I'm not thinking that's happening. So, so you, you're, you're not thinking that there's um, an, a, an acceleration on the second derivative. So like the, the month over month change, for example, um, I mean, given the probabilities that you're describing, it sounds like you're saying you, you think that that's going to either flat, continue to stay flat or to even potentially, potentially come down a little bit. Is that a, a fair interpretation? CPI? Yeah. Or the derivative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. CPI. Well, well the, the derivative. So like obviously the year over year numbers are, are going to continue to be quite high. But, you know, the, the month over month, I think is, is probably the more important metric. Um, and, mm. you know, granted, there, there can be some seasonality and there, there can be some, you know, items that, that kind of impact that. But, uh, you know, kind of seeing that that second derivative, you know, at least flatten and, you know, uh, yeah. not be not be, not be kind of a steep upward trajectory, I think, is is the sign that um, we really need in order for the Fed to kind of. Uh, change course on, on these rate hikes uh, in the next, call it six to 12 months. Um, yeah. And, 
but 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 really, like the way I look at it is the question is if the economy continues to deteriorate, um, and I just checked the Atlanta Fed GDP now estimate, it's coming down. It's I think a little bit over one percent at the moment. If that continues to come down, we're in a technical recession at that at that point. Um, labor market's weakening. Um, inflation is a lot of this inflation. And the problem with the, with today is the inflation is not necessarily demand oriented. It's not mm-hmm. because there well there is demand of course, but it's not because in past the demand is so high. That's why everyone's buying everything. Uh, that's why we're seeing um, that's why we're seeing inflation so high. A lot of this is supply oriented. Of course, we know this, right? With the shutdowns and and all the variants going uh, around, even six months ago, let's say, the mm. problem is how do you fix that by increasing rates? I mean, it's you're kind of you're fighting a fire with like a water bottle, right? Like it's it's yeah. it's the it's the wrong approach. But I get it because uh, that's kind of the tool that the Fed has. Like you know, right. t- talk about monetary uh, monetary policy. That's really all that they got. Uh, yes, you can, of course, lower their balance sheet and, and they're going to cut some off and, and let their bonds and stuff uh, mature and, and, and you know, have a drop off there in the balance sheet for sure, which is to come probably tor- towards the end of the year, I think. Um, but, you know, as we as we see, like the Fed's trying their best um, and every other day, every other week, there's like seemingly a new headline with, you know, this place in China being locked down or that. Place. And it's like, yeah. I'm not sure how much how much uh, how much fire there is to that smoke even. But it's it's interesting to see how how much power is now really not in the Fed's hands. They just yeah. have to be reactive to everything. Yeah, and we saw that earlier this year with you know the supply chain issues. Like the Fed doesn't really have a tool to you know fix supply chain convexity, right? So uh, I think you've got a similar situation now where you've got the geopolitical issues, like like you were talking about. Obviously, you know shutdowns in in China, but uh, inflation is remaining persistent in. Uh, in Europe, and and I think in particular, when we start getting into the colder months in Europe, and you've got you know Russian natural gas supply and potential cutoffs, um, mm-hmm. that that could be a potential um, you know significant inflation factor for at least that pocket of the world. And you know even in in July, I'm, I was looking at some of the rates recently. UK had 10.1 percent inflation in July. Mm-hmm. Germany was at eight and a half percent. Some of the Baltic uh, regions were a little bit higher. Estonia was at 22.7 percent. Um, so yeah. and energy is clearly leading the way in Europe. I mean, Europe's got like a very significant energy and in particular power market um, uh, situation going on right now. Uh, I was looking at some some research recently that said uh, that Europe's or uh, Germany in particular, their kind of wholesale power prices are about 15 times the average right now. Uh, it's a combination of, of some pretty bad policy mistakes. Uh, you know, shutting down nuclear with, you know, increasing intermittent renewables and then, you know, Russian gas, uh, you know, price spikes yeah. and, and, and all that issue. So um, what, what's your kind of take? Obviously, you know, we're in North America. We, we've got, you know, our, we're somewhat isolated from a lot of these, you know, geopolitical inc- uh, issues. But uh, Tesla is becoming increasingly, increasingly, you know, uh, kind of multinational corporation with, you know, operations and sales worldwide. And so they're certainly uh, prone somewhat to, to, to these issues. So are you, to what extent are you, you concerned about, you know, you mentioned Taiwan and, and you know, the, the, uh, the issues that we're seeing in, in, in Europe. I mean, I, could, could those have the potential to derail the, the macro recovery that we're starting to see here in North America? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that goes beyond uh, Tesla, corporates, like, like it goes beyond so many, so many things capitalist related, even that uh, yeah. it's just tough to gauge, like same thing with Ukraine and, and the and the invasion there. 
it's um, it's definitely a risk. I mean, we saw with Pelosi how uh, when Pelosi traveled to Taiwan a couple of weeks back, how skittish the markets yeah. got around that yeah. and how headline. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how much to believe, like all the headline, uh, you know, warmongering headlines that came out that week. Like, I'm not sure how much of that is just media pumping it up versus like big money really being scared of of, you know, even poking that bear. It's definitely a, it's a hot topic. And I think, um, you know, with the invasion of Ukraine, of course, like it's on everyone's mind. China's made it clear with their policy on Taiwan and, and what they want in the long run. And so um, or the Chinese government, at least. So it's 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 something to consider. I'm not sure. Like 2022 is really put in, uh, you know, like these are things we often like talked about uh, for years and years in the markets as uh, somewhat like like not Ukraine and Taiwan specifically, but like geopolitical risks at this level were things that you kind of didn't really model for, right? It's it's not <laughs> like you were here doing your DCF and you're considering all these geopolitical risks coming in. But 2022 has really just flipped that upside down where it's like, do, do you do you have like in your equity investing, of course, you can discount to heavier or lower at the end of it kind of for a fudge me- for a fudge metric. But it's hard. It's it's um, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on Taiwan. I, I mean, I don't really know semis are there, but uh, I don't really know too much outside of that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny you, you mentioned, you know, like modeling this. I mean, I, I remember when I was when I was doing valuation professionally, you know, we would look at if a particular investment was in, say, like Venezuela, then you would like add a country specific risk. Um, mm. But I think we're at this point, you know, like uh, over a decade after <laughs> after that, where like there's so much interconnectedness that, you, you know, like just simply applying a country specific discount rate doesn't work when supply chains are so intertwined and, and the you know the, the political fallout is, is so uh, intermingled among different countries that it, it kind of impacts every country and it impacts the equity markets overall. Um, you know, with, with Taiwan in particular, I, I'd say I'm less concerned with like you know the the potential for you know uh, semiconductor shortages. I, of, of course, that'd be an issue, but I, I would be more concerned with you know the uh, escalation risk and you know does. Uh, does the U.S. take a hard line that provokes, you know, or at least threatens a, a war with China? If that happens, oh my gosh! I mean, that that would be horrible news for uh, for just the world. Um, yeah. And, and equities obviously would would kind of get get smoked in that scenario, um, you know. But I think even if if it kind of falls short of like armed conflict, I, I think that kind of increased tensions uh, could cause pressure, and, and you know, you could see some sort of you know tariffs or, or you know, trade war breakout, which which could adversely impact Tesla you know, with their operations in China. So mm-hmm. it's very, but but it, it's very unclear how a scenario like that would pan out. So it's just like it, the market would freak out because it's unknown. And I keep thinking back to um, the, the war in Russia. I mean, when, when Russia finally actually invaded Ukraine, the market was like, oh, at least we know what's going on. And the market rallied for a couple of days after the, yeah, after the, the actual invasion, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, but you know, I think the uncertainty is more scary for, for markets than the actual yeah. you know risk itself. Uh, so that's yeah. what I'd be worried about. I mean, you could see an incredibly steep sell-off in, in a very short amount of time if we didn't see some kind of major um, uh, situation break out with Taiwan. So, uh, yeah. kind of hoping that doesn't happen, but uh, wouldn't surprise me sure. if we do see that that kind of big sell-off. For sure, yeah. China's a different uh, beast altogether when you talk about uh, potentially being uh, at odds with China. Um, just completely different uh, than than the Russian government. 
it's um it's definitely a geopolitical risk to consider i mean i mean 2022 is the year of, of the geopolitical risk like it's it's you know everything and I, you know i see a lot of comments here about people thinking that you know china is planning something ccp i mean no who's to know uh what's going to happen here but I, I think the bigger thing here is is and it sounds so cliche and sounds so trite right but it's like we're like can we just all get along here boys and girls like you know it's just terrible to see past yeah. the stock market stuff that we've seen this year uh all across the world um so i'm just hoping for better days ahead there yeah for sure i mean you know, we're, we're all humans and uh it, it i mean it, it almost feels trite to you know focus on the equity impact of, of these things when there's such a human tragedy unfolding right now in ukraine potentially could be, you know, in other areas of the world as well. Yeah. Uh, but let's let's move on to happier topics. Um, you know, Tesla <laughs> rolled out to FSD. We're calling it beta 10.69 uh, this this past week. Have you seen some of the videos so far? Here's kind of what your what your reaction has been. I'm really excited to hear your uh, reaction on the other side of this. I have seen videos. I've seen uh, Omar's. I've seen Chuck's uh, left uh, unprotected lefts. I was out for the weekend. I was at a I, I was on a on vacation at a friend's wedding. So I didn't really like dive too, too much into like the sentiment around this update. I saw some of Chuck's uh, videos going viral though. And I had to watch those. It's, um, you know, it's, I, it's hard because I don't want to just say, look, this update is so good because it can now do this one specific turn on this one specific street <laughs> really well. And, but some of the stuff you look at with like the creeping that's happening now, like that was yeah. one of one of the big issues that, you know, you, you watch the old videos and like just was awkward, like it would fully stop. Like, you know, it's just um, it's just gotten so human like so fast. And I think this is the first step right towards the single stack um, uh, uh, architecture. So it's it's really amazing to see the progress that's happening. It's hard to measure though. I wish, you know, mm -hmm. it's very anecdotal. Uh, you know, I don't like to really harpen on just anecdotal, uh, you know, data points with FSD. I would love for Tesla to come out and give objective metrics they look at to see if an update is better or worse yeah. than the last one. Uh, but man, the videos, if you haven't seen them already, go like go watch them it's just it's nuts and <laughs> yeah. and and that was like what fsd beta has not even been around for that long like it's it's you know fsd yeah. beta a couple years let's say and the rate of change that has happened with fsd is just insane um have you tried it have you got the update no so i don't have the update yet um okay. so i'm still on the last version i'm guessing i'll get it in the next week or so um so i got the original beta back in october of last year so it was kind of in the one of the earlier waves of, of people that got it. Um, so yeah, I but similar to, to what you're saying, like I've just been you know kind of blown away by by what it was doing. And one of the things that I really liked uh, is that it shows on that like kind of like blue shaded region where it's trying to creep to, because um, that was yeah. something that always gave me you know the heebie-jeebies a little bit was like there's a busy road I'm trying to turn left and it just starts going and I'm like I don't know if you're creeping or if you're like right. just going to keep going it so if I had some greater degree of confidence that it was actually going to stop at a certain point I'd be much more inclined to kind of let it go instead of right now right now I kind of intervene a lot more than mm -hmm. I'd like just to you know you want to be more safe so um I, I think it's th th that kind of user uh experience part of it is really impressive too how it's it, it's just showing you a uh, a better view of what it's trying to do to give you more confidence that all right it understands that it's not safe but it's going to creep up to this point and then once it's clear it's going to get to this median and, and kind of wait to turn there uh yeah. but yeah like chuck's video 
like, oh my gosh, it was it was so impressive. But I, I think it, it's it's a fair like I, I try to be reasonable. I don't want to be like an FSD you know maximalist, um, right? Even though I think it has the potential like to fully be warranted that that you could be a maximalist. But um, like the the question in my mind though is. Do they do they need to like send a team of engineers to like handle edge cases like this, or you know can uh, improvements like this be made um, you know just with kind of the more standardized processes that they have? Because uh, mm. like after they devoted like a month's worth of time and like they had beta testers out on Chuck's like specific turn mm. that he was doing, like that's not a scalable solution. So. Um, mm. Yeah, I'd be curious to see. But like I was watching uh, Dirty Tesla, who who's another beta tester from Michigan. Um, mm. He he did a drive through downtown Ann Arbor, which was really impressive. And you know, he was saying a lot of the issues that um, he was consistently seeing were were kind of fixed in in this iteration, uh, this, this latest build. So um, mm. it does it does seem that you know, sure they they may have get, you know spent a lot of time working on this one particular incredibly difficult turn. But it does seem that there's a lot of kind of like ancillary benefits and, and you know things that are uh, right. benefiting. Um, uh, did Did you have a chance to see uh, Ashok Alaswamy's uh, the the autopilot uh, leaders? He he had this occupancy network presentation where he's kind of talking about a lot of the, the changes that went in, into this build. Did you have a chance to look at that? I read his Twitter tweet thread, but uh -huh. I'd be I'd be lying to you if I said that I even remotely understood what he was talking about. I'm not smart enough for that. Yeah, well, it was it was incredibly technical, so a lot of it certainly went over my my head as well. But um, you know, when, when he had a lot of these these great videos in there that kind of you know showed what he actually was talking about in the presentation itself, and that was one of the things that was really impressive to me was um, a lot of like the inference. So, for example like a, a car that was uh, occluded in the minute, maybe there's like a parked car or something like that. Hmm. Uh, so like the car actually can't see it, but it knows that it's there. And it's like, it's, it's they're really improving kind of like the memory tracking of, of, of things. Um, and so he was explaining how this all worked so well and it was getting pushed to this latest build. Um, and then like it was seeing it in person, um, Omar, Omar's blog had like a great instance where there was a car that was like visible for just a second and it was going to turn in front of him, but he didn't see it, but the car did. And even though it was occluded, it like knew to stop and, or at least to slow down so this, this car could turn. And it was like, okay, like you're seeing like the theory match the, the results now, which is such a, a an impressive thing. I, I think we've been for a long time hearing about like all the things that it would do and you know, like all the, the great AI progress that was going into it, but then like you'd get these actual results and the car would just be, you know, glitchy or, you know, mm. it would make like mistakes. And I, I think this is the first build where I'm just actually seeing like, okay, like there's very serious like performance improvements where it's seeing mm. things and representing them in, in a much more realistic manner. The, the interesting philosophical question I have sometimes with the FSD stuff is, okay, you're in the car, you're FSD beta testing it, and you intervene because you don't think the car was going to stop, right? How many mm -hmm. times does the car just pretty much want to say to you, oh, Matt, like you should just let me go. Like <laughs> I knew what I was doing. Yes, I was yeah. accelerating too fast, but you know, it's, you know, it's, it, it, that, that's what happens like with an electric car. Like, don't worry, I was going to stop. I wonder how much progress is, you know, potentially delayed because of human intervention, which is totally warranted by the way. Like, yeah. I, I think you should rather be safer um uh, then sorry but this leads me to my next kind of point maybe tesla should create like this like uh mini modeled out like city in one of their factory like 
areas where they can model out uh, like little roads, like maybe just like have a bunch of roundabouts, some 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 street lights, and just like put you know 15, 20 of their cars in this like small little area, turn them, enable them all for FSD beta without anyone sitting in it, and give them all destinations to go at once to see what happens with the interaction between all of them. Um, something like a little model, like and this is probably like really stupid uh to even talk talk about considering there's, there's like real world data of this happening already but i'd just be curious to see if there's no human intervention whatsoever and everyone likes to say well with fsd beta if it wasn't for the human intervening like terrible things would have happened i'd be curious to see model that out what yeah. would actually happen between between all the cars and that interaction yeah, I, I kind of suspect what would happen is it would actually turn out to be way more conservative than we think, you know, so like mm. a lot of times when it, it it starts creeping forward, I'm thinking it's being reckless, but I would imagine if I just let it go, it would end up, you know, probably slamming on the brakes kind of hard to make sure that there's, you know, no chance of a collision and then it would wait, you know, too long and annoy the, the, the people behind me um, while it, you know, turned a little bit more like, you know less naturally than, than maybe I would have done it. So, I mean, that was one of the things that I, in another video that I watched from, from Chris was he was saying it was way more natural. So like the, the, the autopilot in the previous build was more conservative, but it was doing so in kind of like a jerky way, you know, like if it didn't know when exactly the right moment was to turn the, like the wheel would like, you know, really jolt around like this. And so I, I think, you know, if, if we were, were to kind of run with your scenario there, I would imagine there'd be like a lot of like weird behavior, but like the cars, they would, it would get to their destination way slower than you or I would think is a reasonable mm. amount of time. Um, and so I think there's this interesting juggling act where like the, the, the experience for the user has to be smooth or they won't use FSD, but it also has to be safe more so than it has to be smooth. So I think they're, right. yeah, Chris was saying who, who's, you know, has the latest build now, that um, it seems like they've kind of figured out a lot of the safe part, and now they're working on the smooth part, uh, which which I think is like a huge turning stone, or like milestone. If, if that actually right. is true, um, yeah. that like they they for the most part figured out how not to crash in most situations. Uh, right now, like they're just trying to figure out, okay, how can I know when it's appropriate to cross over the double yellow and, and to get back in, in a reasonable amount of time without doing like the weird you know, like lateral jerk thing. So. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm very optimistic that that's where we are right now, but uh, mm. I, I got to experience it for myself and I really can't wait. Yeah. Maybe hopefully you get it next week. Um, one thing also that, that will be interesting to end this year will be Tesla potentially doing FSD beta um, in the, the, in the hyperloop in, in Vegas and getting approval for that. I would be curious to see, maybe this has already been answered potentially if um, they're going to be just having driverless cars down there. It seems simple yeah. enough. You're just kind of going straight. Um, yeah. that'd be a first big, big step. If FSD beta, we're already looking at the end of this year for the target there. If potentially if in Vegas, that's like, you know, even at a small scale, that's the first area where Tesla is yeah. allowing FSD to go driverless. I could definitely see that. And, and what's kind of funny is like, I could see that being like a huge catalyst for the stock price, maybe not a huge catalyst, but I could see that being like, look, like Tesla's deploying a real world, you know, like uh right. driverless network and I could see like some investors like like getting ahead of their skis and be like, oh my gosh, like look what they're solving. And it's like, no, no, no. like AI day was like when you should have been getting excited about this, not on like, you know, some yeah. non-scalable little pilot program that they've got in Vegas. But I agree with you. Like I think that would that would be really, really great to see. And it would be a good indication because I think regulations are are a legitimate risk. So if you can at least 
have like a pilot line or a pilot program like this where you can, um, you know, start <laughs> parts of derailing my train of thought over here in the comments <laughs> saying Emma's got a nice tan. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes. Um, so I don't know. I'd be curious to, to see if that happens. Do, do you, what, what do you think? I mean, what would you put the odds on, uh, on, on them getting approval for that this year? Um, I think there was an article out. I forget even what it, I read it, but now I forget what was in it. Uh, it sounds like they applied for approval by the end of this year. Um, I think the real, the, I think the real PR move is you get Tom Brady to be the first one oh, to take nice. a hyperloop, right? Because we all know what happened with Tom Brady and and, uh, and the Hertz in October of last year. So yeah, you know, it only makes sense for him to to come in the hyperloop. Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. Um, Price increase, fifteen thousand dollars. What do you what do you think? I'm seeing in the comments already Martin Muldoon is saying that he would never pay that much for it unless it was like actually a robo taxi that's generating cash flows. I think there's mm. there's maybe kind of disagreement from, from some folks in the community about whether that's too high or not high enough. I've I've seen like answers all over the board. What do what do you think? Um, I think the limiting factor here may not be Tesla, it may be um it may be law. Uh, depending on where you live and how bullish or bearish you are on regulations allowing robo taxi one day. I think if you live in an area where you feel like your government or your, let's say Florida, for example, is pretty, it's pretty aggressive with adopting technological ad adoption with like mm -hmm. Bitcoin in Miami, for example, and stuff yeah. like that, right? Like little things that kind of signal like, hey, we want to be on the frontier of, of change yeah. here. I think I think paying for that and running the modeling, you may be waiting still years. I know Elon says by the end of this year, but you know, extract that out let's say five more years right um the, but i think um fifteen thousand is interesting because elon's always said as we get closer we're gonna raise prices more and more and more and more and right now uh like in canada it's like 12 five so i'm guessing it's gonna be you know 17 or something like that here uh, when it comes out and i think i think it's signal it's a great signal to the market that hey we're getting closer uh, we're, we're like, there are, the take rates are already pretty low, right? I think Tori, right. Tori Tesla like has, yeah. has shown that like take rates are, are not like, oh, wow, they're so much, they're just so high demand is so high. Let's, let's, let's just price this competitively. No, take rates are already low. So them increasing prices, uh, in the face of take rates being low, I think is, um, it's a really good signal at least that they yeah. believe what's happening. Um, 15,000 is quite the jump though. Um, yeah, so it's the I'm just jump ever, I believe, because it was we jumped right. from ten to twelve, which was two thousand. It had been one thousand dollar price increases before then. So now we're at a three thousand dollar price increase, and over the last year, it's like a fifty percent increase, right? Yeah. So like we're getting, we're I mean we're getting pretty serious. I mean fifteen thousand is is not yeah like a, a small amount of money for an option. Um, yeah, I think at that at that price, you're almost saying I, or that price jump, like you, no one wants to be the first one to buy it at that increased price. Right. I think right. at that type of jump, you're kind of just saying, hey, look, we're so confident. We're becoming so, so confident that this is going to be worth exponentially more that we're going to price this where we think people will not want to buy this almost. So then they opt yeah. in for subscription once we do solve it. And I think yeah. subscription is really like the kingpin for FSD revenues moving forward, licensing maybe as well. But subscription modeling like you know some of the most important companies or best companies in the world are software subscription companies right so mm -hmm. i really like um i really like where this is headed if the majority of people on robo taxis will have to be subscription based yeah yeah i mean because then you've got a recurring revenue model it's a lot easier to uh you know to, to like model the, <laughs> the 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 revenue sources which analysts love 
Um, right now it's like a little bit of a black box and, and Tesla yeah. doesn't provide a lot of information to you know, like get an idea of, of how big the margin potential is. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the one of the things that I really like to think about in the short term, though, is like you've got you've got this fleet of roughly three million vehicles that is hardware three enabled um, and you've got a price increase. And now more and more people, I think, are aware of, you know, an impending three thousand dollar price increase. So how many like of the existing fleet of, you know, three million, mm. let's say like two five maybe are not uh, don't have FSD already. Uh, I don't know if those are the, the, you know, the right metrics, but like roughly, you know, do 2% of those you know, opt for an upgrade before September 5th when the, when the price increases, you know, how, how, right. how much of an impetus is the, the significant price increases? Uh, how, like, how does that pan into, um, you know, decisions for the that existing fleet? Because that's, I mean, that's in my mind, more of an opportunity than like, what's the take rate in Q4 in going forward? Because, you know, that may be 400,000 vehicles or so um, in moving the take rate around on that, you know, two or 3% doesn't have nearly as much of an impact as maybe increasing the overall kind of existing fleet take rate by, you know, 1% or so. So that's mm. one of the really exciting things that I like to think about is, is to like this residual pool of vehicles that you can get margin on a second time. Mm. I mean, you might've had $15,000 of gross margin when you sold the car first, and then you've got another 15,000 gross margin potential when you, when you sell FSD. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you talk about, and that's really the beauty of software, right? It's like, yeah. the, there's just, it's just mostly fixed costs, no real variable costs with every additional sold. It's, um, and talk about Amazon and AWS and their relationship there with Amazon's, you know, grow, uh, a net income, the majority of it really like a good chunk of it being AWS related because yeah. of the margins on that side. Right. And this is not even getting into like something like Dojo as a service. We probably is a little bit more akin to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, I, I almost feel like Tesla wants people to just wait till they solve so they can get everyone on the subscription because I, I think, think they're gonna, yeah, right. I could think that the payback period might be like four or five years, something like that. Um, if you just pay for the, if you pay for upfront at 15 K versus if you just license it out for 200, do you think they're mm -hmm. going to increase the subscription price? I think they will. Um, I, I would like them to be a little bit more country specific about it, though, you know, because like in, in Europe, for example, and in, in China in particular, it's like they're years away probably from having like a significant increase in, in functionality and you know, like setting the autopilot team loose on, on improving those functionalities, the, the functionality in those geographies. So I don't know. I, I would kind of like to see like a lower price in China. Like maybe you could get the take rate up to 5% or something there. Um, but I think like Elon is probably thinking, no, like we'll just try to keep take rate low. I really do think this is an intentional strategy where they try to keep take rate low mm. so that they can collect the most amount of you know profit on the back end once they say, see, we solved it. And then all of a yeah. sudden, like maybe like the overall take rate, like let's say again, you've got two and a half million vehicles that hadn't bought it before. Maybe 20% right. of those, you know, decide to take it if it can actually be a, a Robotex or something like that. And, like I, I like you start running the, the the math on figures like that, and it's kind of like mind boggling how much margin there yeah. could be on the table if they really do solve this. So it's uh, huge. It's it's and yeah. it's from a from a customer customer service perspective. Even it makes sense to not want to push FSD on people. Yeah. Just like because then you're dealing with people that bought FSD when they were on the fence of buying FSD, yeah. and then they're going to be complaining about, look, it's still in beta, it's still in beta, and it could very well still be in beta for for a long time. And so yeah. I think 
I think setting the bar where it's like, hey, this is what it is. Buy it if you want and if you want to bet on FST coming online in your area that you can make, you know, you can license money here. I think that's the better customer service yeah. perspective to go uh, to go with as well. Yeah, I, I think so, too, especially when you can't even like if you buy FSD even in the United States today, there's there's certainly no guarantee that you can you're going to get the beta program, you know, in the next two months even. So uh, there is there's a bit of a waiting game everywhere. And, and so, yeah. I think, yeah, for to your point, like keeping customers happy when they might not have the product that they bought, uh, it, it's a reasonable thing not to push that too aggressively. Yeah. Uh, but I think exactly. like one of the, the one of the, the things I'm looking for, though, is is when they start offering like free samples like like fsd beta for every tesla customer free for a month or something like that that's right, right. i know that like they, they're confident and they're actually trying to push take rate but they've never done that yet um so yeah i'm, I'm very curious to see like once they start trying to push take rate i really can't wait mm. to see the next earnings print after that <laughs> mm, interesting well they did give three months of fsd for everyone that took delivery for end of q4 i think yeah uh, that's right i forgot 20... about that Maybe 2020. 2021 was it? Or was it 2020? Okay. I think it, I think it was like two weeks after I got uh, my Model 3. I was like, damn, I should have, you know, we should have waited to take delivery. <laughs> but no, I, but you're right. I mean, and, and I think that was just more of a test perhaps on their service to see if they can set up the subscription. That was, that was pre-subscription even. Yeah, right. Um, but you're right. I mean, so I just get so excited to give software like the Tesla app. Um, you know, maybe even, you know, in the FSC subscription, you can package in like X uh, amount of miles of supercharging, like yeah. something where you can start packaging stuff up together in a way that adds so much more utility yeah. than it does today. So in insurance, yeah. and then like you, you can actually insurance. start bundling in some of the stuff, some of the Tesla energy stuff with like virtual power plant. Like there are mm. so many bundling opportunities, but, uh, I think it's going to take some time for a lot of that to, to mature, but, oh, I, I get so excited about it too. People. Yeah. Like I've seen a lot of Tesla bears say like, well, like their margins are just like unsustainably high. And once they, they start bringing prices down, like their the margins are going to compress. I'm like, that, that seems reasonable on the surface, but like there's so much more, there's so many more levers that Tesla hasn't even pulled yet that I, uh, just, I'm so excited to, to see what happens in the future. Um, last question before we get, we get to some audience Q and A. Credit rating? <laughs> are, yes. are we due yet? What do you? What are your thoughts? Uh, some Alexandra uh, Tesla Boomer Mama has been pushing the yeah. August credit rating. Do you, any chance we, we still get it this month? Or are you uh, less I will optimistic? Admit, I, I was. I, I'm on the same boat with her. I I, I thought August. Um, uh, or actually, I thought July uh, post earning maybe a couple weeks after. So, but I, I definitely think uh, I think. Do I definitely th I mean, eight days left here in August? Uh, I'm, 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 <laughs> We're running I'm, out of time. Yeah. yeah, I think I gotta. I just gotta stick with it. I just gotta ride it and commit to it. I think August still. Uh, reading S and P and Moody's notes back in the days, I have a video out of my channel where I kind of read through everything. It's really boring, but at least the video makes it so you don't have to read it. Uh, they said <laughs> they wanted to reassess in. Uh, they wanted to reassess when Berlin and Austin were online, and their and their and their gross margins were positive. Mm. Like the bar was really low. Uh, Tesla yeah. explicitly said Giga Berlin. I think in, in, the, in the in the 10Q they said Giga Berlin's uh, margins are positive. I think they explicitly said that. Mm. Austin they didn't, but you can surmise as much. Um, yeah. So. You know, on a technicality, they could, but I'm still expecting an update, right? Like, even if they don't get investment grade credit, um, uh, just the rating, let's say, I'm still expecting an update to come out. It's been a while since we've heard yeah. uh, from their thoughts about this. And they did say they wanted to reassess after the factories were online. So I think, yes, um, but, I, but I do think it's... Um, I think it's a very sleepy catalyst. Like, you know, it's not something that I think 
you can put a precise date on and be like, this is yeah. the date to look for. But it's something that's there. And even last time when we got the upgrade, it was like on a random, I think, Friday afternoon after it was a very sleepy, nothing was happening. And then it just came out. And then I think even Saturday, we got some updated notes um, on Twitter that I read. So it can happen whenever, but probably on a Friday, I think. Yeah, I like that. A sleepy catalyst. <laughs> that yeah. seems about right. I mean, they're, they're kind of sleepy agencies to begin with, right? So why not have a sleepy catalyst? Well, let's uh, let's get some audience uh, Q&A for the next 20 minutes or so. Let's do it. All right. So first question from S4 Enju Bajaj. Sorry That's if I Sanju. mentioned that. Oh, Sanju. <laughs> okay. The, the four threw me off there. Uh, yeah. Would a debt crisis in China's property market impact the growth of the EV sector? Uh, Yashu, mm. what, do, what do you think? I mean, to, to what extent would that be a, a negative catalyst? Interesting. Honestly, I can't say I've connected those two uh, together. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you can connect the debt crisis with overall consumer demand and then consumer demand yeah. into EV. Um, I think China is leading the way, will continue to lead the way unless something drastically changes uh, with U.S. legacy automakers mm-hmm. and their EV technology. Um, I don't see it. If anything, you can make a case of consumer purchasing power goes down. Uh, in China, let's say, well, EVs are already cheaper to run over the long haul. Maybe that pushes yeah. more EV demand in. So you, I think you can make a case that it'll actually increase it. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of agree with you. Like, it's not a direct catalyst. Like, if they're depending on how deep the uh, you know debt crisis went, uh, if it was a big enough kind of macro catalyst, and you know GDP, um, you know, really declined quite sharply, and, and maybe there's just not enough, you know. Uh, liquid, you know, demand for EVs in China, then sure, that, that could impact the market. But in my mind, this is, you know, EVs are, as Gary Black puts it, a mega trend that's just not going away because, you know, it's more economical than the nice vehicle. It's just, it's, it's like a, a better driving experience. Everything about it just makes more sense. So, um, you know, in my mind, I think it's, it's like, you know, EV is, is going to take a bunch of, of ICE vehicles. And even in like, like what we saw with the COVID crisis, it was it was kind of like an accelerator for you know transitions to better technologies. So I, I do think if we did have some sort of major crash, like I would think like ice sales would get hit like probably two or three times harder than than EV sales. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. as a you know market share percentage, for sure the overall market would almost certainly shrink. But I think EVs are going to continue to grow um, even yeah. within that that dynamic. But let's go to the the next question. All right, uh, Callie Stoker one two three on Twitter says, uh, "Does Rocket Labs vertical integration coming via acquisition give any second thoughts? Uh, do you do you follow Rocket Lab, Yashu?" No, I'm going to defer to you on this. <laughs> All right, so I'll, I'll I'll jump in on that. I mean, so I, I kind of get where where this is coming from. So maybe for those who, who don't follow us closely, Rocket Lab has been on a, a a bit of an acquisition spree in the last couple of years, buying a lot of kind of small um, uh, providers of within the, the space industry. Um, and you know, if you, if you contrast that, like with what Elon is doing, you could say, oh yeah, like, you know, they're, they're getting all their growth via acquisition. And so that's, that's not like a sustainable strategy and they're probably overpaying, you know, you, you could make all sorts of arguments about that, which I would normally agree with, honestly. Um, but I think one of the interesting things with, with, the you know, the, the aerospace industry, um, is that it's so, it's like such a mom and pop industry. And it's like been this kind of sleepy, you know, um, industry over the last, 50 year. I mean, it depends on how, how long you want to go back, but you know, there were just a lot of, um, I would say kind of non-competitive 
you know, mod pot type businesses, which were making like this one particular component. And, you know, they, they were just kind of doing that, that one thing. There really hasn't ever been like a vertically integrated company in the space up until SpaceX, um, you know, uh, came in. Uh, but Rocket Lab is trying to be, I would say, even more vertically integrated than, than SpaceX, or maybe if not more vertically integrated, at least they're, they're trying to um, provide a lot of different services uh, like, like software, flight software, and reaction wheels, and a lot of like subcomponents that go on to other uh, launch provider systems. Um, so I, I think it actually makes a lot of sense because what they're what they're doing, uh, they talked about this with the, the Solero acquisition, where they had like, frankly, a really nice revenue base, but like single digit gross margins. And so they said, well, not only can we grow that revenue base more quickly than, than Solero can, can on its own, because we can cross sell with all these different products with all these different customers that we work with. Um, but on top of that, we've got, you know, a, a pretty lean mindset and, and great manufacturing capabilities uh, that we, we feel confident we can get gross margins into the 20, 25% range uh, where this company couldn't do that on its own. So if they can deliver on that, then it's absolutely the right strategy because you're, you're buying at a discount and then kind of using your, your you know, cross-selling capabilities and your manufacturing kind of prowess uh, in order to improve overall profitability of, of the business that you're acquiring. So um, there's execution risk for sure, but I do think it's a, it's a good strategy that, that makes a lot of sense given kind of how sleepy and stale the industry has become. Great answer. Uh, Martin Muldoon says, uh, question, how do we get to RoboTaxi? What are the steps? Who certifies mm -hmm. L5? I think it's the SAE or something. SAE, some, yes, Society yeah. of Automotive Engineers, I think. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yes. So um, what are the steps? Well, I think the first step is getting FSD wide released um, for everyone. Um, I mean, you can make an argument, and I don't see this argument being made very often, is that, um, <clears throat> pardon me, is that Tesla could actually start closing off areas like Waymo kind of does this where like they just won't operate on certain roads and they'll just detour around them if it's like they're giving them too many hiccups. So I think the next step maybe and I, I know Elon doesn't want to do this, but it'd be interesting to see if, if they wanted to get online with the permission of a, of, of a municipality, if they could work together in conjunction to do some sort of beta in a city. I think that's mm -hmm. probably how we're going to see RoboTaxi's first startup. I don't think it'll just be like, all right, it's solved. Now go do your thing. I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna yeah. pick and choose probably a city that they're yeah, gonna yeah. be like, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna make it and we're gonna help the economy so much. Like, watch, we're gonna make this a case study. Uh, where that be, I mean, who knows, maybe Austin, that'd be pretty fitting, uh, Miami, something like that. Um, but level five is like no human interaction, like whatsoever. Like you don't need it for sticky situations, you don't need it for for any circumstance whatsoever. Um I think we're we're still a ways from there, um, yeah. but Elon thinks Elon thinks it can get there pretty fast. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I don't think it's going to be the sort of thing where, like, you know, the federal government or the Society of Automotive Engineers comes out and says Tesla has achieved level five like self driving. Yeah. I think it's going to be yeah. a lot more kind of like you know trial and error. Like maybe Las Vegas goes first with like you know the, the you know the boring company tunnels that would make a lot of sense and then i agree with you maybe it rolls out to austin or miami and i i think you probably are going to have a safety driver for at least some period of time uh just to kind of prove out the, the model um but i think eventually you're going to get to the point where you know tesla can just prove or at least some city will be willing to say okay you've, you've operated so safely you know within the last six months you can you know remove the, the safety driver 
Um, so yeah. like that's that's kind of how I see it playing out. I do have I, I, I don't mean to to be a bear on this, but I I, I do think that there is potentially a risk um, that the current hardware suite maybe can't get to quite level five. Um, so this is something that Chuck Cook has talked about, and even as as impressed as as he's been, you know, with the latest ten point sixty nine, he still believes that they're going to need a new hardware setup where the the mm-hmm. side camera goes from the B pillar to more forward up on the vehicle, maybe in the headlight or maybe on the A pillar. So um, I, I think that kind of makes sense, and it wouldn't surprise me if if on the next version of hardware four, whenever we get we see that that you, there's some movement in the camera placements, and so then maybe the existing fleet of cars, like maybe my car can never become a, a robo taxi, uh, but it still is like an amazing L four system that I hmm. basically never have to uh, overtake, but I might have to like every once in a while if there's some sticky situation. I might have to, you know, take control. So I, I don't know for sure if, if that's the way that it will pan out, but I, I do want to at least ascribe some probability to uh, the potential that, like, you know, maybe there's a difference between RoboTaxi, you know, hardware and then like really great ADAS, uh, you know, mm. software that, that we have right now. Mm. So, all right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, American Yoshi says, uh, question, what are your guys' thoughts on all the new battery tech improvements coming from competitors like BYD or CATL? Makes me think that 4680 might not be the leading tech by the time it's in volume production. Hmm. What do you think, I Joshua? Think, I think it's great. I, I, you know, it's great that there's competition and I, it's great that there's auto, uh, that there's actually other um, uh, battery makers because the amount of batteries that Tesla will need is just like, it's just unlimited. So, um, do I think 46A yeah. won't be the leading tech? I, I mean, if, if I had to bet between all those companies that you mentioned and Tesla, I'd, I'd bet on Tesla every time, um, in the long haul. Um, yeah. now the 4680s are going through some hiccups with volume productions, nowhere near where they expect it to be by now. But I, again, I mean, good things take time. Uh, I wouldn't really put a, a date on it. I think, well, I, maybe I will spring of next year is kind of by then they have to start really hitting the ground running with some of the stuff where if, if they don't, I think production will be questionable at that point where like where the, yeah. all, all the batteries are going to come from. They do have backups, but just 4680 specifically speaking and stuff like Cybertruck that will need it and, and semis. So uh, I can't speak to too much of the battery tech improvements specifically, um, but it's all about volume production. Whoever can hit volume production the most, you know, Elon said like, even with the battery tech we have right now, minus the 4680, like, we'll be fine. It's just about scalability. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I agree with you. Like there, it may be that within a lab or within uh, like a particular vehicle that like the, the production or, or the, the, like the um, performance dynamics of, of one, one of the other cells out there might be better. But I, I think like, look at Tesla's current portfolio. Like you've got like the nickel base cells, which are the high performance. And you've got like the LFP cells, which are the kind of more economical ones. And it's not like you, you, I don't think you could say that one of those is better than the other. They, they're just optimized for different things. Uh, and with with 4680, like, sure, I guess it's it's possible that, that something else could leap for, leapfrog it in performance or, or, you know, some metric. But if you look at the, the way that they talked about that on, on battery day, performance was one piece of it. But way more important was like the manufacturing efficiency and like the capital cost uh, per, per dollar spent. Um, uh, or, or per kilowatt hour, uh, the dollars per kilowatt hour factor. So like, 
you've got to balance all these different things. And like, I don't think that something that BYD or CATL produces, like a lot of engineering is a trade-off. So like, if you've got like a, one of those pyramid diagrams, maybe they're better in these two factors over here, but they're worse in these two. And so I think mm -hmm. you're going to, you're going to see a lot of different chemistries playing around with different optimizing, you know, different performance metrics or different cost metrics. And that's a good thing because it gives you, you more options for, you know, providing different price points for your vehicles or, you know, different you know, uh, performance metrics that you want to get. So, um, like I'm, I, I, I think 4680. When you look at it holistically and the performance that it provides, and most especially the cost, I think it's gonna be hard to beat it. But um, I'm all for competition, and like CATL, I think would be happy to sell to Tesla if, yeah. um, you know, yeah. you know, if they really do have something that's better than 4680. Yeah. And, and potentially we don't even get like dry battery electrodes. Like that's yeah. one of the last pieces that they want to solve for that, you know, would be great. Like cherry on top. Like some people are saying, Oh, you have to do it. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't necessarily need it. And I think uh -huh. um, it, it would be great if they can solve it. And I think they're aiming for it, but even without like DBE, I think, um, you know, the scalability factor um, with their new tech is just worth it. But, you know, Forget about it. BYD cattle. Great. Go like, go make the best, like the batteries that we'll need in the next 10 or 15 years are going to be just unlimited. So as long as yeah. you can make uh, as many as you can, uh, like w with the right form factors, like, I don't think it matters too, too much. Yeah. yeah we are still in such the early innings of, of this overall transformation when you're trying to get to like the 10 terawatt hour scale in 10 years or so, uh, we have such yeah. a long ways to go. And I think it would almost be silly to assume that 4680 is like, you know, the one silver bullet that we need, you know, to get to this 10 terawatt hour per year future. Like, I just don't believe that, you know, I think we're going to need many different chemistries and different form factors for stationary versus, you know, vehicle. And, uh, and I think that's a good thing. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of glad we don't have all our eggs in one basket. Yeah. Ooh, Mark, I haven't checked price. Martin just said, uh, Tesla just punched through 891. So yeah. Uh, well done, Yashi, bring the good juju. There we go. Yeah. New high of eight. <laughs> I like it. All right, next question from Jupiter James. Post split, what's the downside of holding on to leaps when odd strike prices like seven hundred dollars to two thirty three thirty three? Uh, the Juju gang likes their options, and, and we're certainly uh, <laughs> fans of them here at Good Soil too. So, Yashi, why don't you uh, share your what's thoughts on that? What's the downside? Um, well, I first of all, we're we're assuming that seven hundred turns into two thirty three thirty three. If I recall correctly, the last Tesla split, there was some inefficiency with the strikes there, just rounding, uh, uh, you know, rounding error stuff. I don't think there's necessarily an a uh, downside to odd strike prices, unless I'm missing something. I don't think it really matters. Uh, yeah. Maybe you lose a little bit with uh, a rounding. Maybe they round to fifty cents, or they round down to the whole number. Like you know, there could be little things like that. But I don't think it's nest. I don't think there's any major downside to holdings odd strike prices there. I don't think it matters. No, I mean, I, I think the only thing would be you lose, you know, one cent on that strike price, which you know times yeah. the multiplier is a dollar um, per contract. Yeah. So like that's that's not a big deal in my mind. I mean, I, I know I held the six ninety strikes before the last split, and so those mm -hmm. uh, I forget exactly how they uh, how that rounded down, but um, you know, it was not a big deal. You just get you know. You, back then it was five times as many contracts for yeah. you know a fifth the strike price and so it's it's not a it's not a risk it's you know it's just the the, the arithmetic of how it works so i wouldn't yeah. worry about that yeah i wouldn't worry about paying taxes to sell that to get into a better one no no definitely don't do that <laughs> <laughs> all right let's go on to the next question from jtv 
How will Tesla implement charging for RoboTaxi? We've seen the snake charger, which looked wrong, let's be honest, uh, but no current plans for superchargers to adapt. Retrofit seems expensive and time-intensive. Time hmm. I think the easy answer to this would be you just have a purse, like a Tesla employee at certain superchargers that all robotaxis go to when they're when they're running low. And then you just manually have this guy run around and plug stuff in and just clean up cars. Like that's another one. Like who's going to clean up these cars uh, if yeah. people leave stuff everywhere? So I think you're going to need, right? I think Tesla bot chat, uh, comments are probably going to come in the chat right after I said that. But I think barring Tesla bot, I think you're going to probably need someone at these chargers anyways uh, to clean up the car or whatever. Um, or to, you know, if it smells like crap, I'm, you know, I guess the bot would have to be able to smell like, you know, there's certain things like that. So yeah. but that's a great, but JTV brings up a great question is like before Tesla even considers they're close to a robotaxi fleet somewhere, they're going to start coming out with, um, you know, adaptations to their supercharging network or different fleets. Like we're going to start seeing the signals of it before a robotaxi comes out. Uh, yeah. and so, you know, the snake charger, yes, you're, you're right. It doesn't look great. I don't think it's a, it's a great option either. Like, I think there's probably uh, like more capital efficient ways to, to do it rather than like putting a snake charger on. Like, it, one of the the ideas that I, I've thought about in the past was like maybe just offer like a 50 mile charging credit if somebody at the supercharger will just plug in your robo taxi for you. Like, I feel like there's, like most Tesla. Uh, customers are very good natured and love to chat with each other at the superchargers. I think a lot of people would be happy to do that just as a gesture of goodwill. But if you could incentivize it with, you know, $2 worth of, you know, yeah. charging or yeah, something yeah, like that, have the robotaxi operator pay for it. Um, I think that would be a reasonable outcome as well. Hmm. Um, so like maybe that works, but I think it's going to be, ultimately it's going to be the responsibility of the robotaxi operator. So like, I think we're assuming here in this question that Tesla will operate some robotaxis. And I think that's fair. Um, but like when I was looking at the, the economics of operating a robo taxi fleet, I thought it like it would probably make sense to have like a central hub that I would own where you'd have somebody that would like clean the vehicles, like you said, would be responsible for plugging them in and, you know, cleaning hmm. the stuff out of them. And so I think, there's, I mean, there's going to be some overhead associated with this business. And this is going to be one of the things that, that needs to be considered for sure. Hmm. Um, one other option though, is like Tesla bot, like that's, that's yeah. very reasonably reasonable to assume that that could be out there. So maybe you've got a, a bot that's at one out of every 10 superchargers or something like that and, and can handle some stuff like that. So uh, I don't know. We'd be curious to see what happens, but it's a it's a concern, but I think it, it's lower down on the priority list, I think. Hmm. All right. Jason S. asks, once FSD becomes fully functional, is it a good idea for Tesla to spin it off? I see opportunities in marketing it at different functional levels to different types of vehicles and other automakers. So when you say spin it off, I'm presuming you mean like license it to other manufacturers as opposed to like selling the business line. Uh, Yashi, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's what Jason's asking is, is maybe like eight ass systems for this car because, you know, they don't have, I mean, that's kind of the beauty with the camera solution, vision only is that to scale it, all you would really need is enough uh, cameras around any car. And a lot of modern cars today will come up, but, and maybe it's not to the equivalent or the standardization that Tesla needs it for, for, their, for their input. But I'd imagine, I reckon like going, uh, just standardizing that solution probably wouldn't be too hard. So licensing out, should FSD level five, let's say be solved, um, licensing that out, definitely a huge opportunity. Uh, I think what Jason's also asking is that, at different functional levels. So, 
you know, if the Honda Civic uh, didn't want to make robo taxis, but they just wanted to have a really sick ADAS system, uh, licensing mm-hmm. just that portion of the code or whatever, how you how you divvy it out, I don't know. But, you know, just, you know, doing that sort of stuff um, and MacGyvering it, perhaps. But I think MacGyvering, a lot of the- but I think a lot of the a lot of the legacy auto uh, manufacturers today would not uh, today pay for Tesla to do anything, even if it was in their best interest. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's going to be the the biggest uh, roadblock. Honestly, is, is just kind of you know politics and and uh, maybe the pride even of the other automakers. Um, like I don't think GM is going to you know give up on their cruise technology anytime soon because they're, like, they're so convinced that they're like the leaders in the space and similar to like Ford with their blue cruise or whatever it's called. Um, hmm. You know, I think they, they've spent so much time and they've got like, you know, internal teams that uh, have built these products and they're going to like, they don't want to lose their jobs. Right. So if you, if you have to abandon this technology, you're, you're like firing a whole division, which wall street used to think was like your most profitable like, thing. Remember when when GM was basically being valued for their holdings of crew at one point, like back in 2020. It's like I think that's kind of a mistake because like there's a very good chance that their their technology just doesn't scale up or or at least you know has some local maximum like Elon has has spoken about where you know just can't quite turn the corner towards autonomy. Like they, they admittedly they're pretty decent like ADAS systems, and that's frankly what Tesla is right now. It's it's a really good ADAS system, but Tesla has in my mind the very clear path to go from ADAS system to full autonomy, whereas these others don't. Um, the other thing I wanted to add on to this was in that presentation that Ashok gave, uh, he talked about how their their occupancy network was kind of agnostic to the hardware configuration. So you could, mm-hmm. in other words, you could move the cameras around to different locations and mm-hmm. you don't have to like rewrite the software or start training from scratch again. That's um, so huge. Which is like, I'm just amazed by how smart these, these Tesla engineers are like that. It's just like my like I, I my brain can't even wrap its head around my wrap itself around like how you would do that like create software yeah. that's like I don't care like what configuration you you give the cameras in I'll just like cre- recreate the three D vector space no matter what and uh, we'll be able to handle anything it's so they've got such a great generalized approach that I think they're you know there's a very good chance that eventually others are going to have to concede but I think that's to me I don't know. I wouldn't want to bake that into my model because I, I just think that there's going to be a lot of like, some of these companies would rather go bankrupt than admit they they, yeah. they built a product that's not going to work. I mean, th- that's kind of the thing right there is that Tesla is baking this pie that's supposed to feed you know a part a, a wedding party of a hundred, whereas a lot of the the Waymo solutions and stuff they're just baking a pie for themselves. Like it's different yeah. solutions for it's a generalized solution. It's way harder. Uh, you're never really going to know when the pie is ready until it's out of the oven. Like it's it's um, it's a different solution for different things. But you're right, the ego that that legacy auto can have towards um, new up and comers, especially Tesla, um, is just it's it's going to be their Achilles heel. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a real problem. I mean, I, I spent some time working at GM. I've got a lot of friends that uh, that work for Ford mm-hmm. or you know other automakers, and th- there's. I think there's some misplaced pride in, in how like advanced they are in, in some of their features, and it's uh it's not setting itself up for uh a, like a peaceful ending. <laughs> I don't think, which I worry about living in Michigan here. Uh, let's let's do maybe uh, one more question, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. We're a little over the hour mark here. Uh, so breakfast pizza asks, uh, how much do you expect Megapack Powerwall and corresponding VPP, which is virtual power plant? Uh, and auto bidder revenue to contribute to overall Tesla revenue in 2025 and onward. 
uh, kind of on my wheelhouse. But Yashu, yeah. do, you have, do you have thoughts? I I don't, uh, in my model at least right now. Um, I think Tesla Energy, I just put it as a kind of a break even in my head for now and, and not something that's going to contribute to meaningful earnings just yet. Uh, but 2025, but my my cutoff is 2025 on that. So um, 2025 and onwards, I can't really speak to that. But I think you're the expert here. So let's hear uh, what you have to say about Tesla Energy. Yeah, I think there's... So I, I'm hopeful that we're kind of at the the beginning of the S-curve for the for the energy ramp. I mean, if you look at the historical, like kilowatts deployed and or, well, megawatts and then megawatt hours deployed, it's it hasn't been, you know, this this kind of perfect exponential like Elon showed at the shareholder day on the, on the automotive side. Um, you know, it's just very clear that they haven't prioritized that part of the business. Um, but we're, we're getting to the point where you've got this dedicated 40 megawatt hour megapack facility, which is like, that's a huge deal. That's a huge amount of revenue potential uh, coming off of that dedicated facility. Um, so I think you're going to start to see um, some actual scaling in the top line uh, growth there. What I think is more interesting, though, is, is when do they start moving the needle on gross margin, which I just kind of have given up hope, at least in the next five years. But then the Q2 came around and they surprised with, I think it was positive, like 7% gross margin, something like that. Um, it had been negative. So it was like there wasn't any particular news as far as I could see that would have like some huge order or, or anything like that that uh, really drove the gross margin improvement, but it just kind of showed up. So I'm really hopeful that um, they're, they're starting to figure out some of the some of the kinks on how they can not only deploy a lot of hardware, which which they're starting to do, I think, at a larger scale, but to do so profitably. Um, I think Solar Roof has been way more difficult than they thought. Um, yeah. And like based on Emmett's kind of anecdotal evidence, he had like a team of I forget what it was like a dozen people there for like three or four weeks. That even though he paid like an arm and a leg for that product, I'm sure that was a negative gross margin sale for Tesla. Um, mm. So. They, they really need to get to the point where they're not only like manufacturing these things efficient efficiently which which i think they're they're really starting to do with uh later iterations of the of the solar roof uh, but more importantly with this dedicated factory that's spitting out mega packs i think like that's going to help a lot on the like on the, on the cost side for uh manufacturing uh but then actually deploying them is like another part of the, of the process like so how quickly can your team like get in deliver the product and get out uh, or install the solar roof and get out. Um, that's where I think they've been tripped up lately because every location is different. You've got like yeah. site-specific uh, instances, so you can't really fully automate that. Um, mm. So I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see how they can uh, improve that going forward. VPP, I think I'm, I'm, I wouldn't put weight on that until like 2030 and beyond. Uh, just by anecdote, um, there's this VPP in California that just last week, uh, had a great emergency. The customers were paid $2 per kilowatt hour, which is a lot of money. Wow. Uh, but Tesla doesn't take a cut of that. So it's not showing up in Tesla's mm. financials. Um, so I think they're trying to like, you know, work out pilot programs. You've got to do that with every ISO and with each grid operator for those who aren't in the energy industry. Uh, you got to like work with the regular, with the local utilities in every single jurisdiction. And you're going to have different programs in different areas. And I think Tesla is probably more focused on trying to scale up those relationships and, and show that their you know VPP actually works. And I think they'll worry about monetizing that maybe three, four, five years down the road. Because um, right now, I think they, they really just want to try to get the scale uh, yeah. instead of trying to squeeze like two million dollars out of out of a very small pilot program, which won't even move, move the needle. I think it's just easier for them just to you know make the product work and, and worry about monetization on the back end. I'm just imagining AI Day 2 
there's like a trailer for it and it's just Tesla bots on someone's roof just installing all the solar oh stuff. I would love that. <laughs> uh, but to your point, it's, I think Tesla. Oh yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's like, that's such an exciting future to think of, of like the, the, the benefits that that would have. I mean, yeah. cost benefits for sure, but safety benefits. I mean, there, there's so many reasons why that would be an uh, awesome future to get really excited about. It's, it's, it's a great point about, and just ties back into the RoboTaxi, you were saying like, oh, Tesla doesn't, we're, we're like, we're assuming that Tesla is going to run the net, uh, the, the entire network, but there could just be private companies that run it for a profit. I think maybe you're right in that sense, because I never really consider, I thought Tesla wanted to own the entire experience front to back of the RoboTaxi and then make some sort of service revenue money or membership uh, level money from people in the opting in the fleet. But I think maybe their experience with Tesla Solar shows them boots on the ground everywhere is tough. Um, third parties are probably better um, to just outsource this to rather than just try to do it internally in-house. So maybe they maybe they take those learnings over to RoboTaxis as well. Yeah, yeah, it'd be very exciting to see. Well, uh, Yashi, thanks so much for coming on and being a guest. Uh, we're sitting here at 893, 892.50 at the moment. So you've there definitely brought the good juju today. We've got to have, have you on next time that the stock's languishing for a little bit. We'll just have you on <laughs> as the guest host. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, everyone, for, for tuning in. Yeah, thanks for watching, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next week. Emmett will be back. And uh, same time, same place. Yes, Emmett will untan himself and he'll be back. <laughs> he'll untan himself. <laughs> thanks, Parzan, for that. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Take care. Take care.